Good, Good morning, morning church. church. Today's Bible reading is taken from Psalm 51. We shall be reading from verse 1 to 19. We shall be reading from NIV. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and a contract heart, you, O God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you. That was a lovely reading. And so our preacher today is our associate minister, Terry Tennant, an Essex lad himself, who's preaching all the way from West Berk uh, East Burkholt. Over to you, Ben Terry. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We're thinking about Psalm 51, um, and it's one of the significant penitential psalms, the seven penitential psalms uh, that we find from David. I want to begin with a story uh, about uh, a couple after a few years of marriage, um, they were constantly arguing. And a young man and his wife decided the only way to save their marriage was to try counselling. They'd been at each other's throats for some time and felt this really was the last straw. When they arrived at the counsellor's office, the counsellor jumped right in and opened the floor for discussion between the couple. What seems to be the problem? Immediately, the husband held his long face down without anything to say. In contrast, the wife began talking 90 miles an hour, describing all the things that were wrong with their marriage. After 15 minutes of listening to the wife, the counsellor went over to her and gave her the biggest and the longest lingering kiss on her mouth. Then he went and sat back down in his chair. The wife was speechless. 
the marriage counsellor looked over at the husband, who stared in disbelief. The counsellor said to the husband, your wife needs that at least twice a week. The husband scratched his head, reached for his diary and said, can I book her here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, please? That story um, is an introduction to uh, the psalm where we actually can locate the historical background to David's life and the situation that he faced. The question that I want us to ask ourselves, what makes a person a Christian is not that they don't get discouraged. It's not that they don't sin and feel miserable about it. What makes a person a Christian is the connection that we have with Jesus Christ that shapes how we think and how we feel about discouragement and sin and guilt. <clears throat> David was crushed with his guilt. And the Psalms were the main songbook of the early church. They were designed by God to awaken and express the shape and thoughts and feelings of the disciples of Jesus. And the Psalms show us how to be discouraged well and how to regret well. And the first thing we're looking at is David's downward spiral of sin in this psalm. And lockdown uh, can be very challenging for many of us, uh, particularly if we're in confined spaces and with our children or with our partner, spouse, and uh, it can bring out things in us that were dormant where we could escape. And so this psalm is very relevant for us if we're feeling guilty about our behavior, how we've treated another, what we've said. Now, Psalm 51 uh, is about a Bathsheba, this beautiful woman that David lusts after. And we discover the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 to 5. It was one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful, the scripture says. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. She tried to He'd rather try to cover up the sin by bringing Uriah, who was a, a military soldier, very capable one, home from battle, so husband and wife could be together. It would look like the child conceived was Uriah's. And so David arranged for that, but Uriah, being the conscientious soldier, didn't want to spend time with his wife. He wanted to be with the troops. Um, so... David, in the short story version, actually had Uriah 
killed on the battlefield. The, the team around him withdrew and he was killed. And in the most understated sentences of the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 11 ends with these words, verse 27. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There may be things in our own lives where we displease ourselves, we displease others. But the key thing in this scripture is about actually the things that we do that may actually displease our Heavenly Father. And you'll know the story, God sent his prophet Nathan with a parable that actually eludes the story. And David pronounces his condemnation on the parable. How dare this strong and mighty king take this fragile, weak woman weak in the sense of vulnerable. And then Nathan says, you are the man to King David and asks, why have you despised the word of the Lord? And it's at that point when this is all disclosed that David breaks and confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan speaks the word of God over David. Because there is an issue of justice here for Uriah, for Bathsheba, for the, for the baby to be born. And Nathan says, astonishingly, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. The Lord has put away your sin, says the prophet. And in one aspect, as I mentioned a moment ago about justice, this is quite outrageous. Uriah is dead. Bathsheba was taken advantage of and abused. The baby will die. And Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. Just like that, David committed adultery, he ordered murder, he lied, he despised the word of the Lord, he scorned God, and then the Lord put away his sin. And it does ask the question, what kind of a righteous judge might our God be in this context. God doesn't pass over abuse, murder or lying. Righteous judges don't do that. But the Apostle Paul shares our outrage and explain how God could be both righteous and the one who justifies the liar. If we turn to Romans chapter 3, and if we go to verses 23 forward, we discover that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this is the bit. God presented him, that's Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. 
He did this to demonstrate his justice, that God's son, Jesus, on the cross was demonstrating God's justice. The righteous was given for the unrighteous. Because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so we discover because of the divine forbearance that he passed over the former sins and that God passed over David's sin, which would be dealt with in the future in Jesus. It was a show of his righteousness. In other words, the outrage that we feel when God seems to simply pass over David's sin, would be a good outrage if God simply swept David's sin under the rug. But he doesn't do that, as we just mentioned. God doesn't sweep sin under the rug. God sees from the time of David down through the centuries to the death of his son, Jesus Christ, who would die in David's place so that David's faith in God's mercy and God's future redeeming work unites David with Christ. And in God's all-knowing mind, David's sins are counted as Christ's sins, and Christ's righteousness is counted as his righteousness. And God justly passes over David's sin. And that's true for you and me. My sin is passed over in the atonement to Jesus. And so we need to daily appropriate forgiveness in our own lives. Jesus, once for all, by his life and his death, purchased our forgiveness, provided our righteousness. And there are times when we feel unworthy, unlovable, unacceptable. But we need to go back to the cross. We need to go back to Good Friday and Easter Sunday when we are in those moments, because none of us are good enough. We can add nothing to the purchase or provision. We share in the forgiveness and righteousness by faith alone. And this is so hard because of ego, because of pride. But in view of the holiness of God and the evil of sin, it's fitting that we appropriate and apply what he's bought for us by prayer and confession every day. We say the Lord's Prayer often, don't we, in church together. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who trespass against us. So what's David's response to his sin? Psalm 51 is the way God's people think and feel about the horrors of their own sin. I know in my life you can feel crushed by sin. Well, the first thing David does and the first thing that we need to do if lockdown is revealing things within us that we feel crushed by. He turns to God. He turns to God firstly. He turns to his only hope, the mercy and the love of God. Verse 1 says, have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Three times he says, have mercy according to your steadfast love. That's the hesed, the Hebrew, God's relentless, unfailing, magnificent love. And so today, friends, I encourage you to take hold of the generosity of God, his mystery of mercy, and turn to Christ in our transgression, in our helplessness, in our lostness, in our ego-drivenness. Secondly, David prays for cleansing. He prays for cleansing from his sin. Verse 2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7 goes on to say, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a branch that would be used and it would be dipped um, and sprinkled with blood um, from an animal. And uh, it would be uh, painted on the doors of the house that had disease in it. And it, that would be a sign of declaring the house clean by wiping the hyssop branch over it. You can read about it in Leviticus 14, verse 51. And David is crying out to God, his ultimate priest, that he would forgive him, that he would count him clean from his sin. And you sense this big sense of um, weight of being crushed by his sin. And we're coming to the theme of contrition. So he turns to God, firstly. Secondly, he prays. Thirdly, he confesses the seriousness of his sin. And there are many ways uh, that his sin is extremely serious. He says that he can't get the sin out of his mind. It is blazoned on his conscience. Verse 3, for I know my transgression and my sin. It's always before me. My failure is always before me. And the tape keeps playing in his mind and he can't stop it. And then he says that the exceeding sinfulness of his sin is that it is only against God. And Nathan has said David despised God and scorned his word. And, and David doesn't want to be in that relationship. We don't want to be despising God. We don't want God to think that we think less of him. And so David says in verse 4, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This doesn't mean that Bathsheba and Uriah and the baby weren't hurt. Sin has a powerful impact upon them all. Sin is an attack on God, a belittling of God. It wounds, injures, it takes life. It's not just a spiritual reality. And David admits this in striking terms, against you, God, you only have I sinned. And David vindicates God, not himself. There is no self-justification here in this psalm. There's, well, I just, it was a little sin. In God's kingdom, there are no higher or lower sins. 
No defence by David, no escape. He is guilty as charged. And this is radical God-centred repentance. And so David fourthly pleads for renewal. He pleads for more than forgiveness. And this is the crucial bit here. He pleads for renewal, for revival in his life. He is passionately committed to being changed by God. And that's true for us all, that we want to be changed. It's significant that the people in our world who have become the great change makers were often broken people, people who had hit the bottom and then God had used in significant ways. One of those people in modern history would have been Jonathan Aiken, a leading political figure, an establishment figure in the UK government who committed perjury, served prison time, and then has transformed his life in prison reform. He's been ordained an Anglican minister. And often God uses people who hit the bottom and it transforms. And David is one of those. Forgiven people are committed to being changed by God. Are we committed to being changed by God? He prays that God will confirm to him his election. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Don't cast me away, God. Is that our prayer? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Is that our prayer? Don't treat me as one who is not chosen. We want to be part of the elect, called, chosen people of God. I don't want to ever fall away from you, God. That's part of our prayer too. And he prays for a heart and a spirit that are new and right and firm. We need to be a repentant, a non-arrogant people of God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, verse 10. And the right spirit here is the established, firm, unwavering spirit. He wants to be done with the instability that he's just experienced, being driven by his desires and his feelings. He prays for the joy of God's salvation, for a spirit that is joyfully willing to follow God's word and be generous. A contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. A lowly heart where we put self out of the center and we put Christ in the center. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And then he, he discovers the filling of the Holy Spirit in this psalm. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. And you see the turnaround of God's person here. You see this man who's overcoming, his heart was dull, his mouth was shut, and now God is releasing him. He discovers that God crushed him with guilt in love, and that a broken and contrite heart is the mark of all God's children. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Verse 18, 
oh God, you will not despise. So this is foundational in everything as we come to the conclusion of this message. Being a Christian means that we are broken. We are fragile. We are broken vessels. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. We need to be contrite. We are not masters of the universe. And coronavirus reminds us of life's fragility. We need to avoid the mistake of that we're self-made. So contriteness, humbleness marks God's happy children till they die. Being broken and contrite is not against joy and praise and witness. I don't care how many worship services you attend or good deeds that you do, your goodness is insufficient of its own. This is what we learn from this psalm. You can't be good enough to deserve forgiveness. No one, not me, not you, nor anyone. And so we've got to quit trying to quench our own guilt. It's not possible. There's no way. Jesus doesn't care how bad you or I are. You can't be bad enough to forget it. And I don't care how good you are. You can't be good enough to overcome it. You need a savior. And there's only one savior in this world, on this planet, in the global universe. For those who come to Jesus Christ with a contrite, confessing heart, he is savior. And so, friends, I ask you, will you come to him? Will you ask him to cleanse your heart? Will you allow him to transform your lives? Will you experience the salvation he longs for you to have in the freedom of the Holy Spirit? He only can provide that. This is the moment to decide for us to ask him to change our hearts. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this deep and rich psalm that we've heard about this morning and lord where ego gets in the way of us confessing our sin where we want to be right where we want the upper hand oh lord have mercy upon us according to your unfailing love lord we often parade the bigger sins of greed um sexual sin as the worst sins and yet lord we're aware that actually gossip um the sins of a hard heart an uncaring mind are often greater to you and more talked about in the scripture lord cleanse us we pray help us to lay prostrate before you knowing that actually nothing we can do can bring forgiveness to our lives only you through Jesus Christ crucified and risen can cleanse us and Lord finally bring us that deep and abiding assurance that we are loved we are loved from eternity to eternity in Jesus name we thank you amen amen God bless